Chief Dan Monty began his career in 1995 as a paid call firefighter, serving the community of Yucca Valley, and quickly decided to pursue a career as a full-time firefighter shortly thereafter. In 1998, Monty joined the San Bernardino County Fire Department as a full-time firefighter paramedic. Since then, Chief Muncie has enjoyed a diverse career, including executive leadership and managing experiences in both the rural and metropolitan fire service communities, which includes having worked in every division of the San Bernardino County Fire. In addition to Chief Muncie's service to San Bernardino County, he is the president of the California Fire Chiefs Association Operations Section and is the chair of the International Fire Chiefs Association Technology Council Communication and Data Section. He is also a member of the National Fire Protection Agency Forum and has instructed dozens of fire service, NIMS, and incident command system courses throughout his career. Muncie enjoys speaking about his command experiences, leadership, and the use of emerging technology in the fire service at conferences around the nation. She's 19, and I really think you guys are going to learn a lot from this podcast. Enjoy. So tell us about the county that you manage, some of your goals while using technology, and uh, how you're going about it. Uh, Thank you, Kevin. I work for the County of San Bernardino Fire Protection District, and the county of San Bernardino is the largest county in the United States. As a matter of fact, you can take six of the smallest states in the union. You can put it within our borders. It's absolutely immense. It's over 20,000 square miles. Our fire protection district happens to cover 19,293 of those square miles. Um, got about 2 million residents within the county that we provide fire protection to. We, uh, we do this through about 81 different facilities and just over 1,200 employees. So our, our goal is, like any other fire district, is, is to serve our communities with the best fire protection, EMS, and rescue services that we can provide. And it's immensely challenging. In the, in the southwest corner of our district, it's a pretty urban population, you know, a couple of metroplexes there. But if you start going north and start going east, there's a whole lot of desert. And uh, the problem is, is that there's major freeways, there's rail. So we'll respond to a lot of MCIs, hazmats, train derailments, uh, even the aircraft down in those areas, a lot of wildland fires in that area. But there's not a lot of tax dollars to pay for all that. So uh, a little bit more about our county. We cover about 66 different communities, including uh, the major cities of San Bernardino, Needles, Fontana, Upland, Grand Terrace, Victorville, Hesperia, Valley, and Atalanta. So all those, um, all those cities really really desire to have the best fire protection they can. And um, we realized really quickly that trying to build fire stations every five minutes apart just doesn't work for our district. So we really look at, at deploying technology to establish, to help us establish what our vision is. How are we going to protect uh, our communities? And then we have to use technology to meet our mission. How are we going to provide the best fire and rescue and EMS services? And we look at the technology to then look at developing our strategies for response and mitigating incidents, use the technology to communicate our tactics in common operating platforms between units and responders, uh, between our cooperators and internal and external stakeholders, and also to create efficiency with responding. And probably the number one reason we deploy technology is to keep our people safe. And it seems like within the county of San Bernardino, like you said, there's a huge dis- uh, balance between the urban and rural populations, and you've got 2 million people between the whole county. How do you go about planning the technology strategy for this and, and maybe give us some examples of how you plan for it and then how you actually implemented new technology to uh, obtain those efficiencies that you speak of? Yeah, it's really hard to get a grasp on, Kevin, for a lot of people. It's in, in our more urban areas, such as San Bernardino or Fontana area, um, or kind of our metroplexes, 
it's it, within five minutes you can have six fire engines and two trucks on scene on a lot of our incidents. But then literally, uh, when I was a battalion chief in our North Desert area, I'd get a, a call and I would flip on my lights and I would respond code three on this call and I could listen to the entirety of Led Zeppelin seven. I mean, we're talking four hours responding code three before I'd arrive at an emergency and. It's very sparsely populated in those areas. So when we look at technology, we, we use what we call a smart strategy. The first thing is that technology has to be so smart an acronym. It means strategic, manageable, accessible, reliable, and timely. And let me explain each one of those. Strategic means that leaders, first off, we need to start with why I think most people are familiar with Simon Sinek and, and those listeners that aren't familiar with Simon Sinek and his work. Google Simon Sinek and start with why. You want to understand why you're you're doing what you're doing. You never really want to start with what you're doing. And I think a lot of agencies are doing that. They're starting with what we are going to deliver um, our service within five minutes response time. Or maybe it's within nine minutes with the 90th percentile. That's the what. You want to remember why you're doing it. And then we also want to remember that the how is never really our decision. That's the community-driven decisions. That's that's what the community expectations are. So the first part is it needs to be strategic to meet the why. The M is the manageable. And we look at a manageable deployment. Who's going to be the program administrator for our technology? You simply cannot just institute technology and, and there you go, organization, you're good to go. You need to have a program administrator. You need to start developing your super users or your champions for that product. You need to understand that you're going to need to train your workforce. Who's going to be responsible for that? Who's going to maintain the system or the technology you're deploying? And you have to evaluate, does this technology create the time and fiscal efficiency that you expect in your organization? The A in SMART is accessible. And I was very concerned when we first started developing some of our common operating platform technology. And my concern was is that people would be staring at a computer screen and not looking at the incident that's unfolding for them. And a vision in my mind is you're looking at your common operating platform and you're not realizing that the building in front of you is, is about to have a roof failure. That's a string concern. And I, I think back a few years ago when they, they told us we couldn't drive and talk on cell phones anymore, the reason was is that when we're talking on our cell phones, our peripheral vision is narrowed from about 70% down to about 15%. So we're seeing a lot less. And I'm very concerned about technology doing that same thing to our fire officers and our chief officers. So being accessible under fire means that technology needs to be very intuitive. It should be something that we don't think about, that you're simply being able to use immediately. Three clicks or less is kind of the industry standard, that it needs to have um, the ability to glance over at the technology. The technology should take the data, translate it to information that's immediately accessible, and you should be able to glance over at your technology, get the information you need, and then immediately re-engage in that incident. You want to make sure that technology is not restricting your vision at all. The uh, R, excuse me, is is reliable. Technology has to be utterly reliable. And when we first implemented our EPCRs, our electronic patient care reports, we implemented those EPCRs on a tablet that did not work very well. It was extremely unreliable. And our firefighters started using this technology. They're excited about it first. Oh, electronic, this is going to be great. We're going to be instantaneously, instantaneously going to be able to transfer data between ambulances and the hospitals. But the reality was, is once they started using their tablets, they realized the tablets did not work. And so the firefighters reverted right back to using paper and the tablets ended up in the corner of uh, basically the fire stations. Well, we were mandated to start using EPCR, so we had to ask the firefighters again, no, we're going we're gonna to use these tablets, and we had to really troubleshoot the tablets. But once something isn't reliable, your organization isn't 
going to really want to use it anymore. So you start losing faith and the trust in the organization. So now before technology is deployed, we make sure it's just absolutely utterly reliable. Finally, there needs to be timely implementation of technology. And this is interesting. You know, not all technology needs to be used 100% of the time. Some of the smaller agencies, for instance, may not need to maintain a, a software system that designates where new fire stations should be built. That may be a point of time where you're using technology for a short period of time. Uh, as, um, as the Cal Chiefs Ops Section President and being exposed to a lot of technology and being asked by a lot of organizations to evaluate their use of technology, I'm realizing a lot of organizations are buying technology, they use it once and they put it on the shelf, but they maintain that technology, they're still paying for it even though nobody's using it. So you, you need to realize that technology needs to be timely, that not all technology needs to be sustainable in the organization. It may be a one-time use. There's also the change in how technology is boxed and, and given to the consumers. It's, uh, the, the technology has changed to SaaS, which is software as a solution. An example of that is when you used to buy Microsoft Office, you used to go to Best Buy or maybe Walmart, and you would buy a box, and it literally had a CD-ROM in there that had Microsoft Office installed in it. And you would install it on your computer, and you owned Microsoft Office. Well, a few years ago, that switched when Office 365 was introduced, and now you pay $99 annual subscription fee. Well, the good news is that every year you get the most modern version of Microsoft Office. The bad news is you don't actually own that software. You're just paying that licensing fee. Technology and fire services is all the same way, is that the technology is um, you're paying the user fee to have the most updated technology. You don't want to own the box software because the technology changes so quick that if you're relying on old software, it's going to uh, it's going to cause failure points within the organization. It may not have the ability to have the interoperability or the operability between other software that you're using. Then we need to look at te technology as disposable. And I think this is new for technology too. For a long time, we would buy a product in the fire service and we would keep and use technology for a long, long time. Now, technology you literally can buy, you can use it for a point of time or when you need it, and then you can dispose of it and get rid of it out of your inventory. And when I think about just-in-time, it's uh, it's not just a warehouse term. It really, really does apply to technology. So technology is advancing in the United States so quickly. And I was reading an article, it was on uh, ourworldanddata.org, and they were showing the technology adoption by households in the United States. And it was a chart that covered 115 years. It went from 1903 to 1916. And it showed how long a household refrigerator took before 100% of the households had it in the United States. And, and that was like a 30-year period that it took from the 1930s to almost the 1960s, where every household had a refrigerator. And electrical power, even longer. Electrical power came out somewhere in 1908, but it was not until the 1950s that you know, nearly every household had even electrical power. Well, if you look at modern technology, think about how fast tablets were adopted by our cultures. I remember the first tablet I, I saw, I thought, well, I've got my phone. I don't need that big computer. What are you going to do with that? Thing? What, are you going to pull it up to your ear and use it? That thing's ridiculous. Well, within six months, I had a tablet, and I would venture that most of our listeners now um, did the same thing when they first saw tablets. They thought, oh, I'm never going to use this, and then almost immediately you have one. Matter of fact, I think I have four of them that are lying around that I use for different things between work and personal uh, life. So technology, because it's advancing so quick, we need to look at it as software as a service and being disposable. Well, thank you for, for saying all that. And as I hear you talk about all this, I mean, it's apparent you are a technology thought leader. Um, but I have this question where do you see that the, is technology leading us 
or are we as the thought leaders leading technology development? I'm going to say this, and I, I would venture to guess that a lot of your listeners aren't going to agree with this statement, but I believe it's true. I think we see technology, a lot of us see technology, we see a bright, shiny object, and we think that is amazing, we need it, and we adopt it. We we didn't need it the day before we saw it, and we might not have needed it then, but we saw something that was fantastic, and we saw a variety of uses in our organization. So in that case, I think technology is leading us. That's, that's just not the right way to in, institute technology into your organization. And a case of point, as I travel around and I speak on technology, when I speak on leadership, I ask how many organizations have strategic plans. And it's amazing. Maybe only 70% of the organizations out there have strategic plans, the standard coverage, community risk assessments, the basic plans that you see in the United States and in the fire service. Then I ask, how many of you have a plan for implementing technology in your organization? And you can ask a room full of 100 different organizations, and you may have one hand go up. Not many organizations out there, even though they might have a strategic plan, and they might have a general plan, and a countywide plan, and all these different types of plans, but they don't have a plan for technology. It's amazing because you spend so much money on technology, and then we utterly rely on technology for our operations nowadays. Case in point is the, our mapping books. The Thomas Brothers are now gone. We rely on software that navigates for us. So we rely on this technology, but we're not developing an implementation plan. We need to start with why. Why are we doing what we're doing? And then we want to think about how are we going to do it, and then what do we need to meet our mission? And that's a little bit more on Simon Sinek and what he discusses and start with why. That really is saying that you need to have a plan that says, why are you doing what you're doing? What is it that you believe? What is your purpose? And then you're looking at the how, which is the processes. What are the specific reasons and specific actions that will allow you to achieve your purpose and what you believe? And then what is what are the results that you're looking for? And if you do that, you're going to realize that the technology that may be bright and shiny may not quite be the right technology for your organization. You may need something very similar to that, or you may need something vastly different from that. But I would recommend to all organizations that you start looking at uh, some of the technology plans, the IT plans that are out there from major corporations. This is a very, very common thing to find in Fortune 500 companies. It's uh, even becoming more commonplace in city government. It's just not being adopted by the fire service. And Dan, you mentioned that point, why we're doing what we're doing. And I think that's a really key point because that ties into, well, all this technology costs money and we need to get some type of budget approved for this new technology. So how do we, as leaders, um, utilize the technology or show this return on investment to be able to warrant the uh, increased budget for this new software or this new software as a service? Um, you know, how, how are you leveraging technology to show the efficiency so we can then ideally get the budget for it and, and, and really, as leaders, um, lead with technology? And so all of us are asked to defend our budgets it's, you know, it started, I think, with the Great Recession. We started making cuts, and we started being asked a lot more uh, pertinent questions on why why do you actually need this money? What, how, how are you going to use this money? What are you actually going to achieve? And a lot of us didn't have a lot of great questions. That, uh, I always think to a quote from Edwards Deming, who's a data scientist, and he says, without data, you're just another person with an opinion. And I love that quote because we really should be making good data-driven decisions that focus on outcomes. That's, uh, that's where the fire service organization is going. So it, for an organization our size, if 
we didn't use technology. That means we're going to cause a lot of duplications in service. And maybe the technology involves using drones, or maybe it involves um, being able to look at some of the Caltrans cameras that are on the freeway to do a size it before arrival. Maybe that technology means that we're able to use some of our S3 software and look at the size of the commercial building that we're responding to. It's the Amazon building uh, that has an active fire. We may want to send a much bigger response force than a small mom-and-pop taco shop. So all those are reasons why you want to look at technology and, and how it creates efficiency. So I think to answer your question, I mean, how, how are we defending our budgets or give, give a case in point? I think back to a particular community that I was um, the area fire chief for. I was assistant chief before I became the fire chief. And the community was very concerned about placement of fire stations. But the way they judged where the fire station should go was based on the wards of the elected officials. And each elected official, really, it was a coup. If they could get a new fire station built in their ward, it was a big political thing. And so at that point, I used um, a decking software called Adam to demonstrate where the fire station should actually be placed based on available data. And that the data that we use was response data. The outcomes that we were able to demonstrate is that by moving a fire station about a half mile east and out of one ward and into another ward that we were able to reduce our overall response time. And we were able to um, provide quicker service to some of our target citizenry. We have an unsprinkled, for instance, we have an unsprinkled high-rise senior living facility. That's a problem to make sure that we had a response force that was available to gather at that building. So I think that's, that's an example of how you can use technology. And I think back to our fire uh, arson dogs that we've had in the past. And I remember when I was a firefighter, one of our arson investigators had a dog and he was uh, demonstrating the dog to the public and he made a statement I thought was really important. He said, we can catch an arsonist and that arsonist will, will lie to me as a human. He'll lie to my face, he'll deny that he set this fire. But when I bring the dog and the dog hits or identifies the arsonist as having some sort of accelerant on him, that arsonist will often break down and start telling the truth because you can lie to a person, but you can't lie to a dog. And that statement is true. So we can lie to each other, but when we bring data in and we show how we're using data to translate the data into information and how we're using information to make outcome-based decisions, then we're truly using data. You can't can't lie. You're, you're, you're demonstrating that it's not just opinion, that you're basing your decisions on facts. Well said. And and with, I mean, you mentioned a dog and sometimes some of the simplest technology, like a, a trained dog is maybe some of the best technology available. Um, do you have any examples of a successful technology implementation within the past 12 to 24 months that uh, you can speak about generally or specifically uh, within the county of San Bernardino? Let me tell you what's fascinating me right now that we're working on is, is I have three, three goals that I'm really putting forward as the fire chief. They're the three C's in my mind. The first is we're going to be a better communicating agency. We're going to communicate up the chain. We're going to communicate down the chain. We're going to communicate across to our external stakeholders. The second is that we're going to be very community-driven. That's the second C. We're going to be very community-based. We're going to be engaged in the community. We're going to work hard on making sure that our communities understand the fire department and our role in keeping the community safe. Then the third C is to be a great cooperator with our other agencies and with our cities and with our county, with our citizenry. So all three of those things are important. Communication up, down, and across the chain, be involved in the community, and being a great cooperator. So with operational dashboards, uh, common operating pictures have been in the fire service now for years. We've been using tablet command, 
we use Interra as examples of that. Now we start thinking about how do we relate with our community better. So I'm working with um, Virtual CRR, which is uh, a company owned by a, a fire battalion chief in the city of Anaheim. What he does is just simply own software that allows the community to put in some of their information and then provides information back to the, in- the, the entity or the organization on how to reduce um, some of the threats that are facing the community. How do you take that information and then overlay it to the existing operating platforms? So you're having your community start providing another layer of information for you. And then I think how do we how do we create transparency in the organization so the community has a connection with us? They understand how our money's spent. They understand the response times. They understand why we're making decisions. So it's creating that common operating platform for citizenry too. So you can log in on the website and you can look and you can say, oh, that's where our, our calls are. Oh, this is how long it takes them to get there. Oh, here's here's a fire that's going on this jurisdiction. Um, I'll need some information. Or, hey, there's a fire that's burning into one of our communities. Uh, what do I need to do? Do I need to evacuate or not? But, but create that common operating platform for the citizenry as well is important. So that's the technology that we're working on right now that is really important for us to roll out in our communities so we can meet those three C's, the communication up and down the chain across, being very community-driven and centered and being a great cooperator to other agencies. That's awesome. And there's no shortage of things that you got your hands in uh, in terms of really turning this into one of the, the most pristine departments in the country, and I commend you for that. Um, and, and I'm uh, kind of interested generally on, on top of what you just spoke about from the three C's, um, and all the technology you've alluded to now, um, is there any particular technology or innovation that you're most excited about moving forward? Um, and it, in particular, whether it's you know some of the mega trends with the utilizing smart cities or the wearables or virtual reality, um, anything that kind of really sticks out to you as something that you think is actually tangibly deployable in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think all that all that you're talking about, but I think the most exciting is is autonomous drones. Right now, everybody's so excited about drones, but they, they're doing line of sight drones. That's not really what the fire service needs. I think that there's instances where you can use that. Uh, we certainly have used our drones on hazmats. We've used it for wildland fire size-ups, for uh, commercial fires to um, have an eye in the, in the sky. I think drones are great. Line of sight drones are great. People are so excited about it. But autonomous drones are going to be a game changer for us. Um, they're, they're the ones that are going to identify the mission and start um, meeting that mission before our arrival. So I'm going. I know that next week I'm going to be going to Caltech and, and exploring some technology and some heavy lift drones that are semi-autonomous. Super excited about that. Uh, I think about helicopters and our agency is very much in, into helicopters for our mission. But I think about as we start again those heavy lift drones. What missions are they going to undertake that a helicopter may not be needed? And then how much longer are they going to be able to stay in the sky? Or are they going to be able to start dropping water on a fire before that fire is even reported? Are they going to be able to, to identify a, a car accident and give a size up before even the 911 dispatch center knows? So I think next-gen 911, uh, tying in with autonomous drones and the technology of, of the smart cities, um, having you know well-engineered cities where you have multiple data points that are reported to public safety um, every single second of the day that creates a better, a better operating picture for our responders is the exciting part of technology. So that's just some of the things that we're looking about, thinking about, and are involved with right now. Yeah, and I know with your, your drone point, another thing that I've heard about too is the, the line-of-sight drones are great, uh, but you still need someone to actually fully operate that drone and, and granted with the current FAA regulations it's important to follow them 
But I know with when you can get these waivers and have the autonomous drones, you now can have someone that's not on the scene actually flying and operating this. So you're not removing one of the people on the ground uh, from it, from actually doing what they need to do on the ground with fighting the fire or dealing with the particular incident. You're exactly right, it, Kevin. It's the future of the drones over the next 10 years, you're not going to recognize it. Um, it's it's going to be pushed by industry. Obviously, we all know that Amazon and Walmart and a lot of retailers are looking at that. They The secret is here is they don't want a pilot. They don't want to hire somebody and put them in a room. They want a drone to do the work. They want those autonomous drones. And for public safety, that's where we need to go. I, I know in our last conversation, I brought up this fact that public safety is the second slowest adopter of technology only behind the construction industry. Mm-hmm. We have to change that. We have to. We need to think a little bit more in the future. We just had our, our, Cal Chiefs, our California Fire Chiefs Association Tech Summit at Esri, and we, we have that annually in conjunction with FireScope. And we got our tech leaders on stage, and we were all talking, and we looked up to the crowd. And it was interesting, as as we were doing a forum of sorts, the tech leaders looked up to the crowd of fire chiefs, and there was many chief ones in the room and chief twos, and they said, look, we guess at what you need, and we develop products that are great, but we really need you to tell us what your vision is. What is it that you're actually wanting to accomplish? Why are you doing what you're doing? And then we'll develop the technology for that. The fire service has many, it's starting to have many groups out there that are um, advising technology. A lot of our fire chiefs think that they need to fully understand technology. They need to understand how it all works before they're on this advisory group. That is not true. Uh, The NFPA has a a lot of great groups that we can look at. There's uh, PSTA, there's FireScope, there's the Cal Chiefs. We, We all have groups that if we just had only the most brilliant minds of technology, well, then we may get a product that's not really designed for our firefighters. It's, it's in a simple term, what if we had an engineer design a fire engine for us, but that person never actually fought a fire? Would we go buy that fire engine? No, no way. We want to have a fire engine that's designed in conjunction with our firefighters. All of us want that. We want a fire engine that works. So we need to be more involved in technology to, to point to what it looks at. So back to your drone. Line of sight drones are great, and it's a great starting point. They're really cheap for most agencies, and you do have to, to follow federal requirements. You should have a program in place and you should have the ops directives and the fog manuals to drive that. But in the end, what do we really need? And that's autonomous drones that do a lot of the works for us. Yeah, and to, but to that point, the there is that, I guess, the community fear of the double-edged sword where um, the, this autonomous drone can do a lot of good. But how do you approach that from a the community side? With and you, you mentioned it, communicate, community, cooperate, but with this the fear of drones and this invasion of privacy, how, how is that something that you're managing and you're communicating to the, the, the community that, hey, this is something that we're using for good? Granted, right now, you're not doing the autonomous drones yet, um, but something that uh, ultimately with just the, the manual drones, um, how is that something that you're communicating to maintain trust in the community? Well, we're not there, but yet, um, and nobody is. You know, it's uh, the community is going to be mistrustful of what they don't understand, right? But I don't think it's public safety. I think the industry is going to drive that and create trust. You literally are going to see packages delivered by drones in the next few years. And I think as the public becomes used to drones flying overhead, they're going to they're going to stop being as fearful. They're going to realize that these drones aren't spying on them. They're not recording everything you're doing. By the way, your iPhones are recording and spying on you a whole lot more than drones ever will. And every one of us has an iPhone or a smartphone. But to to change culture, you need to establish 
the why, the sense of urgency of what you're trying to do. And as we institute autonomous drones in the fire service, it needs to be explained to the public that um, our drone, for instance, may fly a critical section of our roadways where it's known to have a lot of wildland fires, a lot of train derailments or a lot of hazmats or a lot of car crashes. And it's going to be monitoring the traffic patterns and looking for uh, emergencies in this area. But you explain it, you, cre- you create that sense of urgency in the public that really we need this so we can respond quicker, so we can save lives. And then you, you start establishing groups, um, coalitions and individuals that come together that says, hey, it, when we do this, these are the guidelines that we're going to follow. And you start developing that vision for the future. Where is all this going? And you start communicating that vision to the public so they understand, hey, we're going to use these drones, going to fly this critical section of the roadway. The good news is it's going to be able to identify by a fire 100 times quicker than a human being. And because of this, um, we're going to be able to respond quicker to this incident. And then you need to start empowering the use of those those drones. And that's more than just the public agencies empowering. It's working with our federal government and our states to ensure that our laws are built in a way that, that public safety can actually use this kind of drone technology. And then you want to look for short-term wins. And what I mean is if this drone uh, the moment that it, it identifies an accident and dispatches units, um, you, you say that in the past this might have taken an additional 10 minutes before responders arrived, but because this drone was on scene immediately and provided an update to responders and they were able to tell the severity of the drone, we were able to dispatch additional ambulances, but you show the good that the technology or the drones in this case are doing, and then you just keep driving it forward. You, you keep showing the wins and you keep using that stuff and you, you slowly start incorporating all that change into public's opinion. So all that stuff I just talked about is well-documented. That's just a change leadership model that John Carter, Dr. John Carter wrote, writes about in his book. That's the particular one that I use for leadership in the organization, but it applies verbatim to technology. Yep. And thank you for that, all that intel. And uh, just to kind of wrap it up here, because uh, I know... Uh, you are a man with not a, a whole lot of uh, free time. Um, what would be uh, maybe some uh, areas or, or some links or anywhere for people to go and learn more about some of the, some of the work that you're doing or any sort of uh, general final last thoughts that you want to tell to our listeners here today? Sure. I would go to California Fire Chiefs Operations section. And if you go to our page, you'll see quite a few PowerPoints as well as um, some videos that was filmed at our last Esri FireScope Cal Chiefs Tech Conference. And I think that's a great place to start. Also, the FireScope webpage. If um, you go there, you'll start looking at a lot of the, the things that California is, is doing. And I shouldn't say California, it's nationwide. I think exploring the Esri website is awesome. I think exploring the Darley website is great. I would Google the name Kirk McKenzie. He's a great friend of mine who's a visionary with technology. And uh, while I think more realistic, this is what's available today, he'll tell you what's coming tomorrow. So Kirk McKenzie is a great resource, and you can always go to my LinkedIn page, Dan Muncy, M-U-N-S-E-Y, and uh, look at some of my posts, and Kirk McKenzie's also on there. And if you look at some of our connections and the things that we're commenting on, I think it'll open your eyes on where technology and public service is going. Chief, thank you very much for the time today. It's always a pleasure and honor to, to hear from you, and uh, we're really grateful for everything you do for San Bernardino and, and the entire fire service. Thanks, Kevin. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a comment, and follow us on social media at Smart Firefighting. We would love to know more about what you liked or did not like about this episode. Even more so, we want to know... What do you want to hear more about? 
Any feedback for future interviews or topics is highly welcomed and encouraged. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to next time.